You are listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we continue our series on celebrating the birth of Jesus and his rightful place of preeminence over all things. With a series we are calling Christ, Let Earth Receive Her King. With this week's message, here's shepherding pastor Joe Cook. Praise, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I love that phrase. I love idioms that are colorful and interesting and kind of have maybe a mythology around them. That phrase first shows up in print around 1500 in Germany. And it came with a woodblock print, a little image in the newspaper. And it showed a picture of a woman throwing out the bathwater. And there was this little baby going, ah, okay. It's an idiom that has stuck for centuries, probably existed before that. And the the myth or the idea behind it is in ancient times, people didn't have hot and cold running water. So the family would all bathe at the same time on the same day. And there was a pecking order in which you got to go into the tub and it would start with the dad and then the mom and then brothers and sisters. And then then last but not least, that poor little baby in that dirty bathwater. And the idea was you would look at that filthy, dirty bathwater and if you looked away, you could lose the baby. And when you go to throw the nasty bathwater out, you lose the baby. You see, the thing about an idiom is it captures something in the human context that, that paints a graphic picture. We have a tendency sometimes to overreact to things that are initially disgusting, and we forget when we get rid of that which is bad, we accidentally, unintentionally get rid of something that's good. It's happened throughout the centuries. It's happened throughout the millennia. It's still something that happens in our world today. Maybe a person has a really bad experience with a certain government agency, and they're like, I hate government. I'm done with government. Maybe you have a bad experience with a certain type of teacher. I hate science. I'm never going to look at science again. A ridiculous example would be you come and your house is so dirty, you just say, oh, burn it down. (laughs) Maybe you felt that way a few times. It's an overreaction. We see something that really isn't pretty, something really that is disgusting, and we say, I'm going to get rid of that. But in our energy, in our zeal to get rid of something bad, we get rid of something good. And unfortunately, this is happening spiritually in our world today, and it has been going on for a long time. Gallup started taking uh, stats on a church attendance in 1937. In 1937, roughly 73% of Americans attended church on a regular basis. Now, here's something interesting. Over the course of the next 60-plus years to 1999, that 70% stayed static. In 1999, though, a dramatic turn started going this way. And as of today, it's less than 50% of people attend a church service on a regular basis. Now, that's something that doesn't probably surprise you. If you start peeling away that, you're not going to be surprised by this either. There's more of a tendency for that among younger generations. People are seeing some things in the church, and they're going, ugh. And they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And we don't want to do that. But here's the interesting thing. Even though the idea of going to church is on trending down, people are interested in spiritual things. Consider a few other stats. This is from the Pew Research Center. 83% of all U.S. adults believe people have a soul or a spirit in addition to their physical body. 81% say there's something spiritual beyond the natural world, even if we can't see it. 
74% say there are some things that science cannot possibly explain. People are rejecting organized religion, but they're saying, I still think there's something spiritual about this world. In fact, maybe you've heard people say something along the lines of, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Well, what does that even mean? That word spirituality, it's a slippery word. This is what Psychology Today said in talking about it. Spirituality means different things to different people. For some, it's primarily about belief in God and active participation, notice, in organized religion. That's still going strong. It's less than 50%, but it's still one of the pathways. But then notice, for others, it's not about religious experience that helped them get in touch with their spiritual selves through quiet reflection, time in nature, private prayer, yoga, meditation. And notice, dot, 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 there's that list, we couldn't be exhaustive in that. Many people identify as spiritual, but not religious. That idea has fallen on hard times, the idea of going and joining another organization and seeking a spiritual pathway. Our title today is Christ over false spirituality. And what we're going to find, what we're going to talk about in just a second, is there's a lot of pathways out there. There's a lot of ways that you can go down. It's been estimated that there's 4,000 religions in the world. Now, the more I read about that and researched it, it's kind of hard to substantiate because it's hard to determine when it's just a variation of one of these other religions. But the thing that was clear is there's a lot of pathways. Some of them involved organizations. Some of them involve a person just saying, I'm just going to go out and, you know, talk to the rocks or, or whatever. There's all these different paths. How do we know which one is the, is the right one? As a, follow, as a church that follows Jesus Christ, our presentation today is to make the claim to you that Jesus is superior over false spirituality. And that word false, it has the idea that there's, there are wrong ways to do things. I don't know if you've noticed this. There's a lot of wrong ways to do most things. But there's usually a very narrow way to do something right. There's a lot of things, ways to build something wrong. There's a lot of ways to build it in a, in a bad way. The fundamental difference is going to come down to what does a spirituality, what does a religion, if you want to use that word, say about Jesus. And Jesus doesn't leave us much wiggle room. Look at what he said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus drew a circle around himself, and he said, I'm the way. I'm the way. He didn't leave much options for, him, for himself to be thrown in with other groups. I skipped this slide. Look at this one. These are the five major religions in the world. Christianity, Buddhism, Judaism, Hinduism, Islam. That makes up 75% of the world's pursuit in organized religion. That's over 5 billion people are looking that way. And Jesus has the audacity to say, I'm the way. So we have to decide what's different about Jesus. Do we agree with him? Is there something unique about Jesus? Because if there's something unique about Jesus, we need to make sure we know what we're going to do with him. Lance walked us through during communion about this gift that came, that a child was born, a baby in a manger. So when you hear me say the phrase this morning, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, think capital B, baby. The key to Christian spirituality is the person, the incarnation of Christ. 
and we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Are there some ugly things in church? Yes. Are there some ugly things in organized religion in general? Yes. Are there some things that you may find repulsive? Maybe you've had a bad experience with church or a church person or a Christian or someone like that. Like Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Maybe that's you. But we got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So if you would, join me in Colossians. And let's pick up where we left off last time. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Your outline this morning is broken down into three simple sections. We're going to see Paul give us a warning. There's danger. And then he's going to point us to the way of rescue from this danger. And then he's going to remind us of the way that Jesus brought. So look at uh, Colossians 2. Verse 18, he's going to tell the Colossians, there's some people out there who desire to provide you with a system, we talked about legalism last week, that will dictate how you should follow Jesus, how you should follow Christ. Look at verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous, by a sensuous mind disqualify you. That word has to do with like being an umpire. You've all been to a game, a baseball game, and there's an umpire, and he says, you're out, or strike three, or whatever it may be. There's somebody that's claiming authority in your life, and they're going to tell you how you follow Jesus. And they're going to tell you, this is how you do it, and this is how you don't do it. And Paul's saying, don't let them disqualify you. Don't let a person disqualify you by pointing to some spiritual ideas that don't have anything to do with Jesus. Notice the spiritual spin that these false umpires are going to do. He says they, rest, they insist on asceticism. Now, that's not a word we use on a regular basis. Asceticism is this idea of humility. That's a good thing. We like humility. But in this context, it's a false humility. Notice it's somebody demanding that you be humble. Hey, I want you to be humble, and I'm going to show you how to do it. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6. He pointed out, he said, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they will disfigure their face, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus pointed them out. He called them out. He said, these Pharisees, these hypocrites, when it's their time to fast, they put on a long face. And, oh, I'm so hungry. They want you to see that they're being humble. It's kind of the opposite of humility. Paul's saying they insist on your humility. They're going to dictate to you what your humility looks like. And they don't stop there. There's still some more spiritual mumbo-jumbo, some spiritual lingo. Look, they're going to talk about worship of angels. Well, that sounds kind of spiritual. That sounds important. Do you notice, have you noticed how fascinated our world is with angels? You go and go through Netflix or go through one of your your TV scrolling, and you're going to find all kinds of shows about angels, and there's podcasts about angels, and it's nothing new. It's been going on for 2,000 years. People are fascinated with angels, and this idea of worshiping an angel is contrary to Scripture. It's contrary to the angels. When a good angel showed up, they wouldn't allow them to worship. They said, no, you worship God. One of the hallmarks of a false spirituality, Paul is saying, is when there's a demand that you worship the creation rather than the creator. That would be true of angels. That would be true of a person. That would be true of an idol or an object or even a system. 
Paul's saying, don't let them disqualify you with false humility and the worship of these angels or these super beings. They're going to go on in detail. I, I, I like that phrase, going on. Have you ever noticed when somebody's super spiritual, sometimes they just go on and on and on. You're like, okay, get to the end. Okay, I get it, right? You're spiritual. They go on and on in detail about their visions. And notice the very next, puffed up. They're puffed up with a sensuous mind, a fleshly mind. Here's what Paul's doing. He's painting a picture for him. He's saying, I want you to have a radar out. I want you to know what false spirituality looks like. I want you to know what they're trying to do. It's going to look a certain way. It's going to look prideful. It's going to look puffed up. It's going to be real detailed and complicated and multiple layers, and there's going to be an aroma of arrogance where attention is being drawn to me or to an angel or to a system, anything but to the incarnation. And, of course, the incarnation that we celebrate is a baby in a manger who came humbly, the exact opposite of puffed up. Arrogance and superiority, these will be the hallmarks and the aroma of a dangerous spirituality. Paul may have been dealing with an early form of Gnosticism. About a century later, it was a heresy that was running rampant, and they had secret passage passwords and, and all these levels that you would have to go to. And if you want to get to heaven, you've got to learn the passwords, and you've got to have this vision, you've got to have this experience. And Paul's saying, no, no, because the gospel that he delivered to them was very simple, and that's where he's going to go next. Look at verse 19. Now, the way he's doing this, he's continuing to speak in a negative way. He's saying they're doing these things, and they're doing it by, look, not holding fast. But now here's the point. He's saying you need to hold fast. <laughs> he's saying they're not holding fast. What I want for you is to hold fast because that's how you're going to be rescued. That's how you're going to be safe. That's how you're going to find this way into a spirituality that's not false, that doesn't lead you astray. Not holding fast to the head, notice, from, the whole, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints, its ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So Paul directs their attention to what he calls the head. Maybe head is in a, has a capital H in your translation. That's good. Because he's referring in a metaphorical way to Jesus himself. Does this three times in Ephesians, twice here in Colossians. He's presenting the idea of the body of Christ with Jesus as the head and the rest of us, the followers of Jesus, as the body. That's his metaphor. Notice it's an organic metaphor. Notice that it's not a system. It's not a list. It's not a bunch of rules. It's, a, it's, it's an organic relationship the head to the neck to the shoulders. That's the picture that he's painting. It's not unlike the, the metaphor that Jesus uses. Jesus is also going to talk about an organic metaphor when, he's, when we are in, um, when we're in John 15, 4. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. See, Jesus' metaphor is not about holding fast to the head like Paul. His is holding fast to the branch. But you get, you get the, the thing that's the same. You have to stay attached to the source. In John 15, the, 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 branch, the vine is Jesus and the branch is you. In Paul, the head is Christ and you are the body. 
Paul and Jesus are on the same page. You see, this is the wonder and the marvel of Christmas. While ago, Lance said, unto us a child is born, a baby. What a humble way for the king of the universe to come and provide rescue. Not through a system, not through conquering, not through defeat. He comes and he offers not a system, but he offers himself. And he offers a relationship, a critical connection. The message of true spirituality is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't get so distracted. Don't get so disoriented by, oh, man, church is so complicated and, and following you. There's so many books. There's so, you go to the Christian section, there's just layer after layer and book after book. And this preacher says this and this preacher says that. And it's so complicated. No, it, it, it's a relationship. Notice it's just like being a part of a body knit together. If verse 18 talked about disunity because of the umpires, verse 19 talks about unity. Do you see that? Knit together. Now, the thing about it is we could say, well, I love Jesus. I don't love the church. Well, there's a problem because if you're going to be a part of the body, Jesus, part of being a part of the church is you're connected to Jesus. Well, he's going to be connected to other believers. This body is important to be knit together, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, and staying connected to him. The two greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor, that's the body. That's the knit together. The other one, verse 18, they're going to disqualify you by telling you the do's and the don'ts, but Paul's saying cling fast to the head. Hold fast to the head. Knit together. And I love the phrase, grows with growth. <laughs> you know, you put a seed in the ground, and you don't have to go out there and think real hard, oh, I'm really trying to make that little seed grow. No, it, it, just, it grows. A baby is born and it grows. And notice where the growth comes from. Not from a system, not from a list. It comes from God. Grows with a growth that's from God. Look at what um, Norman Geisler says. True spirituality does not come by compliance with laws, which are only a shadow. Paul, I mean, uh, Lance talked about shadows last week. But by connection with the life, who is the reality. With a vital connection to its head, the body of Christ, without a vital connection to the head, the body of Christ cannot grow. Lance explained to us that the law was like a shadow on the ground. You can't have a relationship with a shadow, but you can have a relationship with a person. Christianity, true spirituality, the path to true spirituality, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was saying, me, you be connected to me. And it's about love. And that's a great thing. Here's the thing. It makes it accessible to all of us. It's accessible to you if you're a child. When Lance was given the communion service, he presented the gospel, and it's simple enough that a child can receive it. I was eight years old when I heard that Jesus died for my sins, rose again to the third day, and I heard that message, and I placed my faith in him, and I learned that Jesus loved me. And I began to grow. And it wasn't because I knew a lot of doctrine. It wasn't because I'd been to seminary. It wasn't because I had this book memorized. It was because I heard somebody loved me. And do you know when a child is born, they naturally long to be loved. They want to attach to a parent, to a mother who's going to feed them, to care for them. It's ingrained in us to, do, to have this loving attachment with another person. And that's what we're being invited into. When Paul says hold fast, he's saying maintain that loving attachment to the head. 
Keep your focus on Jesus. Don't get distracted by the systems. Don't get distracted by the ugly bathwater that may get stirred up from time to time. Keep your eyes. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's a person. It's not about being right. It's not about a special experience. It's about a person named Jesus who was the God-man, and he came to earth as a child. As we move towards Christmas, we celebrate a gift. Lance talked about that too. This gift is explained for us as something so simple that a child can receive. Jesus oftentimes talked about the faith of a child. Remember this? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This childlike love, this childlike attachment to a person whose name is Jesus, that's the key. A child can grow in Christ. It grows with a growth that's from God, not from a system, not from effort. If you're here this morning and I would ask you the question, do you want to grow spiritually? Then the answer that I would give to you is, I would say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Make sure your focus is on the person of Christ. The way that God saved the world wasn't through sending an army. It wasn't through sending a, a big bolt of lightning or making the sky into a great big movie screen where he communicated his truth. No, he came as a baby. He came as a child. He came to the earth to be with us. He provided a new way, the way. Look with me at verse 20. If with Christ, and I'll just stop there, if means since in the grammar. He's saying since with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why? As if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. Paul's reminding them, this one that came to earth, that baby that we celebrate at Christmas, when he came to earth, what he did is he grew up to become a man. And as that, that perfect man, he took on your sin and my sin and he paid the price that you deserve to have paid, and that I deserve to have paid. And then he came out of the tomb, and he offers a relationship with him. And it's so simple that a child can enter into it, but through his death, we are transferred from that, that bondage of sin. Notice what it's saying we've been set free from, the elemental spirits of this world. Let me rephrase that for you. Man's way of doing things. Humanity's way of doing things. You get that. You know what the world's way. You get what you pay for. You want that, you better work hard. You better beat somebody else. You better fight someone. You better win. You got to be better than the next guy. That's the world's way. What Paul's saying, in Christ, you died to the ways of the world. There's a new way. There's a different way. And it's the way of the Spirit. Paul said it this way in Romans. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in, there it is, a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code, the shadow. It's a new way, a relationship. It stands apart from those 4,000 other options 
if that's how many there are. The ways of the world, do not do this, do not do that. Now, listen, there's not really anything wrong with do nots. Those lists are usually pretty good. Do not commit adultery, is a, that's a good one, okay? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. He said, that's right. But then he pointed the finger at those men in there, and he said, but I say to you, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He, he took it from the outside, and he went to the inside. There's nothing wrong with the, that list, but the thing is, it's got to start from, it's got to start from the heart. The focus can't be on the external, which is the world's way of doing things. Spiritual growth is from the inside out. Do you see that when we get to verse 23? Look at what it says. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. There's that word again, and severity to the body, but they are of no value. No, mark that. They are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Self-made religion, in some of your translations, it may say rigor of devotion. It may say strong devotion. Think striving. It makes sense to us. If somebody comes with a system and says, I want you to work harder, here's how you do it, and this is what you get at the end, we'll go, ah, that makes sense. I get that. But he's saying they have an appearance of wisdom. They promote striving. But it also promotes pride. And he says, he comes back to that word asceticism. Let's look at that a little bit closer. Asceticism, Paul says, do's and don'ts are of no value in restraining sensual indulgences. People who don't get proud and condemn folks who do. And these sins, these sins of judging others, are as much an expression of the flesh or sin nature as the action of the person is proud of refusing. You could follow the list and still be in sin. Paul says it very clear. These lists, these things, they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the, of the flesh. In our feedback time this week, someone wrote on our, one of our cards, we give feedback to the person that's presenting, and the question that they wrote really struck me. It said, well, what does, what does restrain the flesh? That's a good question, because Paul says it's not this. It's not these spiritualities that are, have umpires and lists and do's and don'ts. But you know what does restrain the flesh? Love. Jesus said it all, the, all through John 14 and 15. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. When you start to love someone, you start to become like them. There's an ancient writer from around 1200. Her name was Claire of Assisi. She wrote this. We become what we love. And who we love shapes what we become. Now let that sink in. You may think this sounds like a Hallmark card. Joe just said the answer to the solve the world's problem is love. Yes. God's love. A loving attachment to the creator of the universe will transform who you are. Claire, I believe, is right. We become what we love, and who we love shapes what we become. I think the Apostle Paul agrees with her in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the power that transforms character. 
you look around, no matter how good the list is, no matter how good the system is, you can have it memorized. There are people that know doctrine way better than, than anybody in this room. They know the Bible way better, and yet their lives, their character is still unchanged. It's not until the heart's changed. And if you're sitting here and go, Joe, I long for my heart to be changed, I would say, look at Jesus. Focus on him. Reconnect with your heart with him, that loving attachment with him. Recognize that he is the source of life. Sin is not an information problem, generally. It's usually a heart problem. And love is what will transform your heart. Jesus' new way is a way of loving attachment with himself. He said this in Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You know what he's saying there? He's saying if you want good fruit, then don't focus on the fruit. You focus on the tree. And you know what the tree's job is? To abide. The tree's job is to abide in the source of life. What's the branch's job? To abide in the, to abide in the vine. What's the body's job? To abide in the head. Heads don't, bodies don't usually do real well without their heads. Have you noticed? When you lose your head, you, get, you start to get in trouble. He's saying, Paul's saying, cling to the head. Jesus is saying, cling to the vine. This Christmas, as we think about a manger filled not with a book, not with a scroll, but with a baby, we're invited into a relationship. We've talked about philosophy, legalism, and spirituality in the last three weeks. Jesus offers a relationship that gives you rest that no philosophy will ever give you. He offers you an identity that no, no system of legalistic rules and do's and don'ts can give you. It's not an identity of look at how good I am. It's an identity of look at whose I am. It's a spirituality that's utterly unique. I, I challenge you, go and look at as many of the other spiritualities as you want. You'll not find the claims like Christ's claim. And you'll not find a God who takes himself from the throne of heaven and he steps into reality not to conquer you but to save you. A God who put on flesh. He's seeking you. That's the most remarkable thing. I used to think I had to find God. Maybe you hear sometimes a young person saying, I'm searching for God. Spirituality, you know. No, we have a God who's looking for us. That's the wonder of the of the Christmas story. God came looking for us. And that list that Lance gave us about the incarnation, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, we could add to it king of kings, lord of lords, creator, sustainer, by whom, for whom, through whom all things are held together. But Jesus gives us another word. And if this word doesn't shock you, you're not paying attention. This word comes from John 15 again. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But look at this. I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Find another God who says, I'm going to be your friend. Now, it's friend in a whole other category qualitatively totally different. 
We'll never be able to understand the full extent of it. But this is a God who didn't come to make us slaves, doesn't promise to make us masters, but he comes and he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest that no philosophy can give you. I will give you a yoke, a yoke that you can handle because we'll be in it together like friends. It's a God who invites you to join him, who has come to join you. This baby, we don't want to miss out. Is church messy? Is the world messy? Are there all kinds of systems and isms and ologies that choose from? Yes. Is it easy to get frustrated and disgusted? Absolutely. I've had my own issues with the word religion in my life. But don't miss out on Jesus. 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe did something utterly unique. He became a man so that he could have a relationship with you. And what does it mean to be his friend? I can't imagine. So I invite you this morning, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater this Christmas. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.